Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Sarah Fletcher, I'm on staff here with Chi Alpha, and I, thank you, thank you. I am excited to bring the word tonight, Um, so I am really glad that I got this part of the Revelation series, because uh, this is gorgeous. It is one of the most spectacular passages in the Bible, low-hanging fruit, so feeling that, Um, which is good, because a lot of my mind is turned to the holidays, right? As we approach break, we are entering that beautiful season where there's decorations on stages and Christmas trees are going up and we get to gather with people for Thanksgiving. Although, I guess I have heard from some of you that maybe the holidays are going to look a little different this year. You might not be able to travel where you normally travel or the group that's normally there can't be quite as large as normal. Um, and that, that can be hard and it can be sad. And that's just one of the realities of our season But we also know that we're looking for the places we can find joy, right? And so often those are the people we're with. Maybe it's a parent or a sibling or a grandparent. Uh, So my holidays are a little smaller this year. All of my grandparents have passed away at this point. So it's me, my mother, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Small household, but great times. Uh, But for us, the holidays used to be this huge affair, especially Thanksgiving and Christmas. So what was normal for us is we would go down to my mom's family farm, where a whole bunch of cousins would gather, my grandparents would be there. And I wanted to share an image from these, these holidays with you. And of course, it's going to lead into the sermon. So, uh, But it was just this most beautiful thing that really sticks in my mind when I think of the holidays. And it would happen on Thanksgiving. It would happen on Christmas. It would happen on Easter. And the reality is it would happen every single morning, which is why it happened on those holidays. But I mostly saw it at the holidays. And that was this. Okay, I want you to picture a very tall man tattooed. He's a veteran. He's huge. He's gruff. He's wearing a big jacket because he's been out hunting all morning. We're a hunting family on that side. And so this is my grandpa. We called him Poppy. And uh, he was just this enigma of a man, like this kind of terrifyingly large man. But he also loved babies, and babies loved him. So he was the one who was always holding the babies at the family events. But um, without fail, when my sister and I were visiting, we'd get up early, we're playing, maybe we're going to open presents under the tree. And my grandmother would be there in the living room watching us, or maybe she's in the kitchen and she's cooking. But without fail, coming in from the cold outdoors where he's been hunting turkeys or deer or rabbit or whatever it would be, uh, he comes in and the air rushes into, and he's this big dude, and the first thing he would say is, where is my bride? And then he would march through the house until he could find my grandma, and he would give her a kiss, and she'd smile at him. And I thought this was the cutest thing ever, you guys. Oh my goodness. Um, It was just so romantic. And as a kid, this image really captured me. This gruff man who all he wanted when he came in was to find his bride. It was never my wife. It was never her name. It's where is my bride? I just thought, wow. It's like, like, cute, right? It's cute. It's so cute. And the older I got the more my understanding of this marriage, this promise they had made to each other, this this image of a bride and husband, the more it grew grit. Because the more I got to hear the story of their lives, the story of a veteran who 
made it through a war, but many of his friends didn't. The story of a couple who lost children, two to disease, two to accidents. The story of a couple that just has the normal wears and tears of life. And yet, every single morning, where's my bride? Beautiful. Last week, Pete preached this incredible sermon on the wedding supper of the Lamb and the, the bride of the church and, and how in the Jewish tradition, uh, you would be married, but you, the man would come, they would become betrothed, and the woman would be a bride for a while, but the husband would leave to go and prepare a home for her, right? And so he would be building a home in his father's house. And when he was done, at some unknown time, he would come back to the bride and he would lead her to the place he had prepared and there would be this huge wedding celebration because finally they got to be husband and wife and live together as one in the place that he had prepared. And this, where we're stepping today, this is the other side of that wedding. Last Monday we got the wedding, now we get the life. We get to see what it looks like. We get to see the promise of the marriage of the church and the lamb. So when you're making a vow of marriage, you're making a promise to be with someone no matter what, no matter your feelings of the day, no matter who you become in the stretch of time. There's a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he said, my wife has lived with six different men since we got married, and all of them have been me. (laughs) We change, and a promise is saying, no matter what, I'm committed to you. I'm going to come in in the morning saying, where's my bride? And I heard someone say something once that stuck with me, which was, whenever we make and keep a promise, we are perhaps as close to being like God as we have ever been. Now, why is that? It's because when you make a promise by your words, you are actually creating a reality in the future. You're creating a future, you're putting it into being, and when you keep that promise, you are displaying a character of trustworthiness. A trustworthiness that will hold even an ocean of trouble, even in pain, even if it involves sacrifice. So when you make and keep a promise, you are displaying the power to create the future and the love to keep it constant no matter what. Promises are so important. Have you ever had someone break a promise to you? You thought, maybe it wasn't even a spoken promise. Maybe it was a a promise that you just understood. It didn't have to be spoken. And then when it changed, when something broke, when that promise was broken, you, you couldn't understand. It's like your heart was breaking because something that was so certain is no longer certain. Or maybe you're the person who... You have someone in your life where no matter how you mess up or you hurt them, they are just there like, I'm going to love you all the same. I'm not going anywhere. And you're like, why? And they're like, I'm just not. I'm committed to you. You're like, oh my gosh, thank you. But wow. I I, I have a lot of those. I'm very thankful for them. Um, Promises are the foundation of relationships and keeping them is the proving ground. The promises are hard, right? Because we're saying no matter what, I'll stick around no matter the pain, no matter the sacrifice. It's so much easier to make a contract. 
fall short on an expectation and I have a right to break the contract. No longer give me the same feelings, I can break the marriage. To make a contract is to say, I'll be in community with you as long as it serves my desires. Or perhaps for a person to say to you, I'll be in community with you as long as you make me happy. There is no certainty in that. A contract is terrifying, but a promise is beautiful. Living in an uncertain future, not knowing what the future is going to be, is where anxiety comes from. It's where stress comes from, where fear. If we only knew what the future held, we know how to prepare. We know who to rely on. And that is why promises are powerful. They create this future that we can rest in. But if the person building the platform of your future is not reliable, whether a parent or a spouse or a political leader or even the mutual agreement of a nation of how to live, the promises we say we will make to each other, if the person keeping that promise is not reliable, the promise isn't a promise at all, right? Because there's no certainty there. And then life just becomes this race for control or mutual, like just trying to find our best, competing self-interest. If we are to live in a relationship of peace, or if we're to live in a world of peace, we don't need contracts, we need promises. Something that is certain. But a promise is only a promise if the person is trustworthy. Promises hang on the promise maker. I'll say again, Whenever we make and keep a promise, we are perhaps as close to being like God as we have ever been. Everett Storms was a school teacher in Canada, and he decided to make a study of promises in the Bible. This was his 27th time reading the Bible all the way through, took him a year and a half, and he found, in his count, a grand total of 8,810 promises in the Bible. And 7,487 of those were promises that God made to humankind. Our God is a promise maker, and his promises are good. There are promises all over the Bible. I do not have time to list them. It would take an entire series, but he promises rest. He promises peace. He promises provision. He promises his presence. He promises eternal life. He is a promise maker. Can I tell you he's a promise keeper? And spectacularly, no matter what the promise is, the story of the Bible is that those promises are met and made in the person of Jesus. And that is where we find ourselves in the book of Revelation. It's the revealing of how all of the promises of the Bible are made complete in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And despite how people treat the book of Revelation, It's not meant to be some secret coded wisdom. Its focus is not the predictions of what will be, it's the promises of what will be. And that is where we're going to read in this final two chapters of the Bible, the promises being made complete. So if you want to turn to Revelation 21, we're going to be reading the first five verses together. Don't worry, there's more later. It says... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Have you cried lately? There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What is the promise here? What is the sum of all of the promises right now being met? It is that we will be with him We will be his people and he will be our God. It's almost like a wedding, right? I'll be yours, you'll be mine, and we will dwell together. And what's amazing is that when the promise is fulfilled, it will look like an entirely new life. And this life has no death or mourning or crying or pain. And it's almost difficult to imagine a world without that, right? We're like, how could that possibly exist? And God, like he knows we're going there, is like, but hold up, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. He's saying we can count on it. If the promise to be united together forever is the I do of a wedding, I've been to a lot of weddings. When you're in Chi Alpha, when you are a student in Chi Alpha, you go to a lot of weddings. And when you get on staff on Chi Alpha, you go to a lot of weddings. A lot of weddings. It's beautiful. I love it. But I've been to a lot of weddings. And what normally happens is that there is that I do moment, but there's also a vow, right? It's something that gives texture, that gives, that gives a picture to what the I do means. And that's what we see unfold in what continues in Revelation. So... Um, Chapter 21, verses 9 through 22, we're not going to read it. I'm going to describe it to you. It's one of these places where we're like, oh my gosh, the symbolism, right? That's been happening all over this series. But basically, uh, it's a description of the structure of the city. And what it is, is it's making a reference to the Holy of Holies, which was a room in the temple. And it was considered the place where the unmediated presence of God dwelt. And that was why only a high priest, only once a year, and only with ridiculous amounts of sacrifices, could you enter the Holy of Holies. And now it's saying the city is the Holy of Holies. How do we know that in the text? It says it is the shape of a cube, which in the Bible was the Holy of Holies. Any Jewish person hearing that is like... They get it. Um, And what is also cool is that there are 12s all over the place. We've already talked about 12s in this series. 12 is the number of fullness, the number of completion. And we see that the city is laid out as a cube, just as the Holy of Holy was. And 12s are, well, it's 12,000 stadia on each side, which it doesn't really matter the distance. Although, fun fact, that is the uh, diameter of Pluto. So, but the point is in the number, 12,000 on each side, fullness. 12 gates in the city, 
that mark the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 foundations to the city that represent the 12 apostles. And the wall of the city is 144 cubits thick, which is 12 times 12. And the number 144,000 we've already seen in this series was the number that was used to mark the fullness of the number of the people of God, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Numbers everywhere that are like, it's complete, it's done, we're all here, God is fully here, you're fully here, complete. The full presence of God and the full presence of his people. And then the rest of Revelation 21 and the first three verses that we're going to be looking at in Revelation 22, again, kind of give texture to the, the, what this is going to look like, what our togetherness means. So we're going to read that right now, starting in 21, 23. This is such good stuff. If you're like me and you're a really like, artistic person and you're kind of like, ooh, uh, feel free to close your eyes and just like listen because it's gorgeous. Great. But you don't have to. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it and nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. We're going to stop there. There are three realities in here to what it means to live with God that I want to highlight for you. The first is that there is the light of life. How? Through the lamp of the lamb. That's kind of a tongue twister. But there is not night. Night, to the Jewish mind, was the place of human evil, ignorance, evil deeds were done in the darkness, and the darkness was a place of isolation and shame because he wanted to keep your evil deeds in the darkness. He didn't want to be known by them. A place of sin and a place of shame. But back in John 8, Jesus spoke to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And that is the reality we see when we experience the promise of God, being known fully and fully knowing, we can finally see his face. Everything is exposed, and yet we are still received. The reality of this beautiful marriage with God, so to speak, is that in the promised life, sin and shame are gone forever. Gone. And not just that, there is a river of living water, but there is no sea. I'm very sorry, Kelsey Leopold. I know you love it. Um, But in the Jewish mindset, the sea represented a place of evil and chaos. And all the powers that work in the universe that threaten to undo us. I understand this because the sea is the place of octopi. I hate them. They're terrifying. They are chaos. They have eight legs. They move. They could take over the earth if only they could get on it. Um, No sea. Amen. So, and in the midst of the chaos of the world, people would go 
to their own wells. They would try to find a place to find stability, to find safety, to find fullness. In John 4, we see the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. And she has been trying to fill herself with things, whether that is relationships with men or maybe just the the economic stability they provided. But she has been drinking from other wells and finding them empty. And Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. And when she tasted of it, she left the well and she went and told everybody of the man that she had found. The new reality is that there is no chaos, there is no evil, there are no empty wells that we're trying to draw water from. We have the source of life flowing from the throne of the Lamb. Evil and emptiness are gone forever. And finally, there's the tree of life, but there is not the curse. The curse From the very beginning of the book, we're in the end, but back at the beginning, Genesis 3, we see the curse upon humanity for their disobedience, the curse on humanity and the serpent, and the casting of humanity out of the garden so that they wouldn't have access to the tree of life because then they would be separated from God forever in their sin. It was an act of mercy. And the curse, the the result of sin is that our work would become toilsome, the very earth would fight against us. And it meant that people would fight against people. We see in that, in the curse, the root of the the fight between men and women. And then from Adam and Eve's children, we see the fight of brother against brother. And from their children's children, the fight of nation against nation. And yet, even as the curse was spoken, so was a promise. One day, a child of woman will come and he will crush the serpent's head. That is our new reality in Jesus Christ on the cross. That victory was won. The tree of life that was once forbidden because it would be the source of our separation has now become the place of our unity with God. And it grows and it gives sustenance and it is for the healing of the nations. No more enmity among mankind. It's gone. The consequences of sin are gone forever. That is what the promise looks like. That is what the promises of God are leading to. The other side of the wedding that Pete preached on, no more death, no more mourning, no more crime, but only life, light of life, river of life, tree of life. We don't need anything else because we have life. And can I tell you, I get so, depends on the day, mad, sad, when I hear people say things like, I don't really want that. I think I'd rather go to the party in hell. I'm like, you don't get it. I think nothing has been so bad for the church as this image that people have of heaven where they think we're angels on clouds playing harps for eternity. I agree, that's boring. I don't wanna do that. Guess what? We're not gonna become angels. We are humans and we are gonna experience what it is to be true humanity for the first time. That is the incredible promise of what God does for us. It's not boring, it's spectacular. Something we're experiencing in this year of COVID is we're realizing, we should have realized this earlier, we kinda did, some people did, not everybody, that mental health is such an issue in our country, in our world. I deal with depression. And uh, it's something that's in my family. It's something I dealt with for years. 
And what it felt like was, here was this line, and most people experience kind of like this on the line. You know, they have ups, they have downs, and it just felt like I was stuck down here. And every once in a while, I could kind of get like right here. And everything in my life was either defined by, today I have a little light, or today I'm just swamped in darkness. And finally, I stopped being stubborn, and I went to a therapist, and I got on medicine, and it was fantastic um, for me. Um, And I thought that this was going to mean my life would have more light in it. And what was spectacular is that when this happened, when I, I finally started like, experiencing what that reality would be, it wasn't just light over darkness, it was color. It was like I could experience emotions in color. It wasn't just brightness, it was yellows, it was greens of peace, it was joy, it was, it was just everything was in technicolor, and I didn't know life could be like that. This world is in shades. It's just light, dark, little flashes of light, but most of it dark. We are not looking just at the light of life. We are looking at the color of the world as it was meant to be. And that's what we get to live in. That is the party, let me tell you. That is what can be. And so we're going to close with uh, the final verses of the Bible. Um, it starts in 2217. That's where we're going to be picking it up. It says, to this reality that we're talking about, to this world of color, to this place where humanity will be as human as it could ever be, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, let them come. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of the prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. Can I tell you why? This is a promise. When you add something to the promise, when you subtract something to the promise, it's not a promise anymore, it's a contract. That's not secure. It becomes, well, You'll get this as long as you blank. God will do this for you as long as the church does this. It, it's insecure. This isn't a contract. This is a promise. You don't add to it. You don't subtract to it. It just is because of who he is. And it ends, verse 20. He who testifies to these things say, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. That is the promise we stand on. That is the promise we long for. And so we're closing. How do we close? You're going into your break. This is normally where I would say, this is what you do. Here are your three points. I have one point for you today. I think it is timely in this season. And the only point I have for you is that I want you, this break, to rest in the promise of God that you will see these things fulfilled in Christ. We are here, ready, just waiting for that door to open and that trustworthy voice to say, where's my bride? 
The love in that voice, the joy in that voice, that voice that little Sarah could curl up in and imagine hearing one day. Can I tell you, I might not be married, but I am betrothed. And I don't have an engagement ring, but I have the Holy Spirit telling me every day that he is on his way. I am part of the greatest promise that has ever been offered. And so are you. He's right there, coming soon. And just as my grandma woke every morning trusting, knowing that soon she would hear the call of her promise maker, so can we. We can endure the evil of this world, the darkness of this world, the chaos of this world, the crosses that we must carry in this world because we know the prize that is waiting for us, which is him. Are you living out your faith like you and God have a contract? Do you have fear that that's not going to come because you're going to mess it up? You're going to fail. You're not doing it right. He's not going to be happy with you. We're not called to live like that. We have a promise from the promise maker and the promise keeper. And we don't have to live in the dark anymore because we know who the light is where it comes from. We don't have to keep our sin and our shame in the dark. We have a community of light that we get to live in. And we get to finally walk away from those wells that left us so dry, whether it's accomplishment, it's power, it's acceptance, it's whatever the, maybe just like comfort and entertainment. So many many of us are drinking from that. It's empty. It'll leave you thirsty but we know where the source of life is. And finally, if your heart is broken right now when you look at the world, if you feel despair, if you feel like the darkness is closing in, the fatal blow has already been dealt to the serpent. And the curse will be gone like this, in the blink of an eye, when Jesus comes to bring us home to the place he has prepared for us. And so we cry, come to those who have no hope. We cry, come to those who are weary and burdened. Come to every lonely soul. Come to the promise maker because he is faithful and he is on his way. Lord Jesus, come. That's what I have. We're going to go into worship because there's nothing more to be done. We have nothing we need to do. We have received the promise. And now we get to worship this wonderful, promise-making, promise-keeping God. Well, it was my delight to worship with you all tonight and to read about the promises of God. For the benediction, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Enjoy your breaks and may they be marked by resting in the promise of God. 
Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 